This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. And in today's episode, I'm going to begin with a trend you may have noticed around you. A lot of restaurants and stores have really shortened their hours. Most of them not just are opening later, they're closing earlier, in some cases much earlier. Stores were 24 hours. Not so many anymore, right? It was funny. I really got a sense of that when I was in a Walmart and somebody next to me was talking to an employee and said, are you still a 24-hour store? Which they weren't. But it was funny that people are really starting to recognize that hours are shorter. The other thing is that chains are no longer consistent with the hours that they're open, right? So you could see one location that's open a much shorter number of hours a day than another. You know who's done that a lot? The drugstore chains, like Walgreens, will have a pharmacy that closes pretty early, and they'll have a sign that says, so-and-so locations open till 10 or open till midnight or whatever as an alternative for you to those long hours. And I saw a story in the Wall Street Journal recently about the changes going on in restaurants. I'm going to talk about that in a second. And also, I want to talk about what's going on with student loan forgiveness. There's a lot going on, and the Supreme Court decision killing the plan that President Biden had tried to put through was not the last word or act on this. I want to tell you what looks like is going to really happen and who it's going to benefit, and that's coming up later. So speaking of later, I can't talk too much later because, well, you might all be asleep. Think about my oldest brother. Our joke with him was that he and his wife never even thought about eating dinner till after nine o'clock at night, like they lived in Spain or something. We've discovered that they're eating earlier and earlier and earlier. And that is not just my brother Gary and his wife Deborah. That is what's going on across America, is people are doing things earlier. In the Wall Street Journal article I alluded to, they pointed out that 10% of dinners now are being eaten in sit-down restaurants before 5 o'clock at night. Before 5. And that used to be something you thought of, you know, people would make fun of Florida, you know, and say that Florida, you got the, what they call those early bird specials. It would be 4 to 6 p.m. or 3 to 5.30 or whatever. And, you know, they'd say that was a Florida thing. 
Well, now it's a post-COVID thing is one of the likeliest reasons. And a lot of people's patterns have really changed, particularly people who work in jobs where you can work remotely. Restaurants used to be really crowded after 8 o'clock at night in major metro areas because people would have these commutes, they'd get home, and then they'd have to go back to somewhere to eat. And by the time they did all that, it would be after 8 o'clock. So, Krista, I don't know if you use any of the reservation services mm-hmm. like Open Table or Resi. Resi. Yep. Uh, when you use those, you'll see at a lot of restaurants, all the tables are gone. Like after 5.30 till about 8 o'clock. And then after 8 o'clock, all the tables are open, which is a complete reversal of how things worked before COVID. And what's funny is it's bleeding into the weekend also that people are eating a lot earlier. So I wonder, you know, before COVID, I talked about the variable menu pricing that restaurants were using and that the early bird thing had become more sophisticated and a lot of restaurants were doing these things to try to spread out their diners, get people to come eat in the six o'clock hour or even in the five o'clock hour. Now they're going to have to reverse it (laughs) and do the specials in the eight o'clock hours. But the other thing is because the labor shortage in so many industries, a lot of businesses have said, wait a minute, retail, restaurant, whatever, look how few customers we have after this time of the night, whatever this time of the night is. And they're like, why are we paying to keep the store open when the customers aren't paying enough in purchases to keep the restaurant open or the store or whatever? And so you're finding things that are closing earlier. And I've got three kids and I've got a daughter and a son who both are night owls. I have one who goes to bed earlier as two kids, but the two night owl kids are always complaining that when they want to go out and eat, everything's closed. Wow. I mean, things really have changed. I've, I've been ahead of this curve forever. <laughs> Pre-COVID, what was your favorite time to sit down and either eat a family dinner at home or eat out? Oh, six o'clock. Like, I've been like, I was born an old lady. <laughs> I love, I'm happy to eat at 5.30 if I could, you know, if I could have gotten home in time. But yeah, I definitely like to eat early, go to bed early. I mean, if I'm in, not in my pajamas by nine o'clock, we have a problem. That's how I am. That's how I roll. Well, Lane and I like to eat really early and we'll go for a dinner at 5.30 or six o'clock. And our son who's still at home calls it lunch if he goes with us. Oh my gosh. If he eats at six and so he'll eat his lunch with us at six, then he'll eat again at like 10. The society's become harder for people like him who like to eat late. Unless you're in Europe, right? Okay. So that was funny because we talked on a a podcast a few days ago about how your family and just one of my kids was with Lane and me in Europe. We'd been driving and we stopped by a restaurant first they wanted to know if we had a reservation we said no and nobody was eating and it was like well we don't open till eight o'clock but we don't really have any reservations till 9 30 and i was like oh wow so we got in the car and we went and found a place that was open when my family was with me the last week it was in france and 
the res- earliest reservations you could get were either seven, seven thirty, or eight. So we would show up at seven. You know, I mean, I made some reservations for They'd places. They'd be like, "Oh, that's that. an American." Because when you want to eat, there are people there, but they do this whole thing where they sit, they have a drink, maybe they smoke a cigarette, they hang out and talk at like between five and seven. And then later on, they go out to eat, it seems. At least the area we were in, that seemed to be the culture. So the Europeans haven't heard of lung cancer yet, have they? Well, I feel like there was a lot less smoking than I've experienced before. But yeah, you still see, you still got ashtrays on your your restaurant tables and stuff. So in uh, Poland in particular, it was like nobody has yet heard that anybody ever got sick from smoking Mm. because there's still... Huge percent of people smoking. All right. You ready for some questions? Ready for questions. This one came in from Lynn in California. You have my favorite podcast ever, and I listen to you every day. I hope you never retire. Did you write this, Krista? No. I have a security (laughs) question. I have a small guest house and garage separate from the main house. Recently, my garage was burgled. And because it's not near my house, I didn't hear anything. How can I protect these areas from thieves? I live in a rural area and have no close neighbors or dogs near my house. Thanks for all the help that you give everyone. So, Lynn, the smartest answer is for you to have a self-installed burglar alarm. They're very, very inexpensive. And you can have one that you don't sign up for uh, traditional monitoring. that You're paying a monthly fee. And you can have it just ring your phone or your cell phone if there's a problem. What am I talking about you having to spend? 80 to $150 to burglar-proof that garage and the guest house. You would have some peace of mind. And basically, this would not be one that goes to a monitoring station. You could add that on, but it doesn't sound like what you need. It would just call you in the event that something triggers the alarm or just security cameras that that trigger your phone that you get automatic you could do that as well i, I you know either would work mm-hmm. maybe get a dog but then you gotta go you got the dog's living alone then no and the dog can roam around she said it's a bit distant i know i know okay. all right <laughs> wade in ohio says i'm a 54 year old firefighter getting ready to retire from that career and continue working another one. I'll have a decent pension and approximately 380000 in public employee investment accounts. I have approximately $65,000 in debt that I would like to pay off. I'm planning on working another job for at least another 10 years. How do I go about paying off the debt, taking a little out for some fun, and investing the rest. Do I have to pay a 1% financial advisor or will a robo-advisor work? I'm a little embarrassed about the debt, so I hesitate to meet someone face-to-face. You're the greatest. Okay, so first of all, you're the greatest because you're someone who's willing to run into a burning building while the rest of us are trying to run out of a burning building. Seriously, yep. Second, you saved $380,000. I assume... A lot of that was your contributions, not employer. You've got the pension. You're in really great shape financially. You're going to work another job for a decade. On the debt, that's not something you go to a financial planner about. You go to a counselor that you can, because first, you shouldn't be embarrassed about debt. So many people have debt. Yeah, you are not alone. Yeah, let me tell you, you're not alone. And 
you have the mindset now that you want to kill off this debt. So what you do is you go to a credit counselor, and I want you to go to nfcc.org, National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org, and you'll be able to do online counseling or remote video counseling, whatever. You don't have to necessarily meet in person. If all you need is help coming up with a budget and a plan that you execute to pay down the debt over time, you don't pay anything for that. If anything, you pay a tiny amount, depending on the NFCC affiliate, you might pay 50 bucks or 100 or whatever for help in getting your arms around the debt. You don't need uh, for that a robo-advisor or a human advisor. That's about investing primarily at the stage you're in in your life. So I want you to, to feel comfortable and confident and not embarrassed that you can tackle this debt, especially because you're going to work another job and you'll have the public employee pension coming in. So your living expenses will be defrayed so much by that pension that the money that's coming in from the new job, you're going to be able to devote enormous funds towards the 65 grand, put your mind to it, you will pay it off much quicker than you possibly imagine right this second. And then he said, in addition to the pension, he has 380000 in public employee investment accounts. Would you recommend going to a Fidelity or Vanguard and maybe using someone there to... That's a great question. So the three eighty. I don't know who administers that, what expenses there are to it. And so talking with a fee-only financial planner, in this case an independent first, where they can analyze and look at what you've got, where you pay them like you'd pay a lawyer for something. I'd like you to go see somebody at GarrettPlanningNetwork.com. Find out what they charge you for a checkup. They'll be able to analyze this plan that you have the employee, public employee investment accounts, see if the fees on it are reasonable. If not, you may be able to move it tax-free into something that would be much more reasonable for your wallet. And Mark in Connecticut says, hello, Clark, big fan for many years. Can you talk about the platform for selling products that is based in Asia and only uses crypto for currency? They look for sellers to sign up and you have to give your driver's license photo on both sides. No social security number. How much damage can they do with your driver's license information if they wanted to? And does the IRS tax extra income of such funds if such funds come into your bank account? My understanding is that most people who do this use Cash App for fund transfers when they make money on it. So it's so funny. I'm going to start at the back and then go forward with your question. So you may remember earlier this year, there was a big fuss about the uh, new congressional law law passed by Congress, that the IRS is not enforcing right now that requires that Cash App, Venmo, and uh, Big Bad Zell and PayPal report if you are receiving inflows of greater than 600 a year, I think it was, Mm -hmm. and that was suspended. And so Congress needs to go back to the planning process and come up with a more viable system than that because that was a ridiculous pain in the rear end what they came up with selling on this site i'm not even going to name it i don't want to give any publicity 
there's a lot of back and forth about how reputable the site is, and it does not seem like it is ready for prime time. It may be fine over time, but I would not get involved in selling on this site. Uh, There are a number of accusations about it. It may or may not be proven, but I would stay away from it and tell you that if you have stuff, merchandise you want to sell, sell on a known recognized platform. Sellers, uh, remember Amazon, almost everything sold on Amazon.com is third-party sellers. Walmart.com, much of it's third-party sellers. eBay, all third-party sellers, people selling stuff new or used. The platforms already exist that are well-known and recognized. I wouldn't go with an upstart that's all crypto-based. Coming up ahead, I promised I was going to talk about student loan forgiveness after the Supreme Court ruled, and I talked about it a little bit after that. And then something new happened, new update coming straight ahead. So I'm sure you heard, you didn't need to hear it from me, although I did talk about it, that the Supreme Court ruled as I expected, invalidated the uh, Biden administration's blanket student loan forgiveness. In the aftermath, there's something new going on that a lot of student loan borrowers were not aware of. If you're a longtime listener to me, you know that there'd been a lot of corruption by third-party independent companies that were contracted with the federal government to service student loans. And either out of incompetence or dishonesty, they were doing things that prevented student loan borrowers from qualifying under any of the various student loan forgiveness programs that were congressionally authorized. In other words, real ones. And these programs, the, the most known and the most important is public service loan forgiveness. Police officers, firefighters, people who work for nonprofits, other jobs where people choose to serve their community and country at a lower pay rate than they could likely make in private industry, Congress in its wisdom forever ago passed the public service loan forgiveness program. Then there are other programs as well, not that well-known and not used frequently, that allow for forgiveness of student loans for any job category, typically at 20 years of payments or 25 years of payments. So the idea is 10, 20, 25 years, you make your payments as agreed, and then the remainder of your loans are forgiven. All three situations, but the one that really affects the most people, the public service loan forgiveness, people were cheated out of forgiveness. And I've covered that extensively over the years. So now the U.S. Department of Education is reevaluating people who were cheated out of loan forgiveness, who work in these jobs where they should have qualified for loan forgiveness, and payments that they have made, if they've had the payment record required of them, the remainder of their student loans will be forgiven. Now, again, most of the people affected by this are going to be people in public service type jobs. Their 10 years of payments, when the remainder is wiped out, that is tax-free. 
the much smaller number that may qualify under the 20 and 25 year payment programs, those forgiveness programs, the money forgiven will be taxed. Huge difference. Because in the wisdom of Congress, there were key objectives. One was to make people pay on the loans they took out. Two, to reward people who make payments for a long, long time and to reward people in public service with loan forgiveness, but to make the loan forgiveness superior for people who do jobs in public service like a police officer or firefighter or things like that. And so that is going to happen. I can't imagine there will be a successful court challenge of that. Is for blanket loan forgiveness. The only way that will happen is as it should have happened in the first place, if it's going to happen at all, by congressional action. All right, let's go to some questions now. This one is from Jennifer in Illinois. College tuition bills are sent this month, and I'd like to know where to go for private student loans with the lowest interest rate and best repayment terms. Also, can our 18-year-old son take out a private student loan on his own, or must a parent co-sign? Our oldest son will be in his first year of college. After scholarships, a preset amount that we are contributing, and his federal direct unsubsidized loan of $5,500, the estimated balance he would need to take a private student loan out would be for $7,000. Okay, first of all, that's great, Jennifer. If that plays out that way over four years, the total amount he will have borrowed will be probably within the range of where I'm comfortable, which is the typical amount that a typical college graduate will earn out of college, or you'll at least be close to that. So I'm comfortable with the amount. I'm not comfortable with those loans being private. And I don't know if you've gotten advice yet from the financial aid office at the university that your son's going to attend, but there are many other federal student loans available that will tend to have a fixed, well, they're fixed rates, and the interest rates will be significantly lower usually than what's available in the private student loan market. And there are additional protections for the borrower doing the federal loans instead of the private loans. Private loans are a last, last, last option, which is why private loans represent somewhere around 6 or 7% of student loan borrowing. In other words, 93 94% is all federal loans of various types. Joe in Wisconsin says, I've read your article about the dangers of using debit cards. My wife and I have come up with a system that helps keep spending in check where I transfer her a set amount each week for groceries, kids' clothes, diapers, etc. She then uses her debit card for these items. It's been good for us to track our spending. However, I'm concerned that we are not getting the benefits like points, rewards, etc. of using credit cards. Do you have any advice where we can use credit but still make it a set amount per week? Joe, that used to be possible. I don't know of any plans that exist right now that make a credit card kind of simulate what a debit card does. Your idea has worked well for you There are a few debit cards that give reward points. I wouldn't even worry about that because what you're doing with the money you have and how careful 
you and your wife are with the spending and how you basically have a weekly budget for spending is working so well for you. Don't mess up what's working so well. I'm gathering from what you're doing that the amount being transferred each week is going into a spending account. So the risks of using a debit card are mostly eliminated. The big risks with debit cards, if you're not familiar, is you don't have the protections you do on a credit card. And if somebody gets to the debit card, the money vanishes from your account. It could be money you need to pay your mortgage, car payment, rent, all your expenses. That's why I always like a debit card cordoned off in a separate account, not tied in with your normal spending. But I really like what you're already doing. And yes, the man who calls it the piece of trash fake Visa or fake MasterCard says the circumstance you have is tailor-made to continue using a debit card. When did I hit my head? I don't know, man. <laughs> I haven't heard you say that before. Okay. Isaac in Virginia says, I've been using high-rate online savings accounts for a while now. I'm currently using PayPal's high-yield savings. I noticed that often the bank that offers the highest rate varies from month to month. Is it worth shopping around opening new accounts with the higher yield banks or does the security concern of having too many savings accounts make it not worth it? It's just the hassle factor isn't worth it, Isaac. So with any savings account or money market account, the interest rate can change daily. You could be at uh, PayPal's savings may only change once a month, but there's no reason they couldn't change daily like so many others do. You're earning 4.3% right now. That's a pretty good rate on idle cash. If you wanted to step it up, though, potentially to a higher rate, you may find that you'll do much better at Fidelity Investments if you have an account with them or Vanguard if you have an account with them. Not necessarily with Schwab for daily savings, but if you do have an investment account already, Isaac, with either Fidelity or Vanguard, you can put that daily cash into an account that should out-earn what you're earning in PayPal savings account or others that are of similar interest rates to PayPal. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. Where What we're all about, and you think about the questions we had today, our mantra, save more, spend less, avoid getting ripped off. That's what we're about And I hope that you are finding value in our podcast, either the audio version or the video version. If you're a subscriber, please share us with a friend you think could benefit and have a great, great day.